Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, lots of interesting headlines to take a look at and uh, some sports notes as well that ties into the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. There was quite a bit of a discussion about some sports and some of the lessons you can learn from uh, some of the different sports that are out there. So we've got some uh, additional information to add to that today. That and uh, play more coming up here on this Tuesday edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here. We're on Trumpet Radio, and this is Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm and at thetrumpet.com. There's a pop-out player. If you want to click on the pop-out player, it sits there on your uh, desktop. It's nice. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And any emails you'd like to send, send those along to comments at kpcg.fm. It can be for this show. It could be for any show. We're happy to uh, take a look at those. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon is here today as well. And uh, lots of interesting stories to take a look at today. Some of them are sports-flavored. Whatever that tastes like, sweat. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some sports ones to uh, discuss and a few other topics as well. So it's going to be quite an interesting program, I think. Um, I, you know, I, we didn't talk about this before the show, and I didn't look it up, but maybe you know off the top of your head. We were I texted you last night because uh, there was a college women's basketball game. It was Connecticut and Cincinnati, I guess. And they were up like 45 to 3 or something. 43-5, yeah. Yeah, 43-5 at halftime, and we were talking about this high school blowout the other day so i saw that and i thought no way uh, did, did you see what the final was i didn't see it i turned it on at halftime i watched them recap the first half and it was like cincinnati couldn't even complete a pass they every time uconn was intercepting every pass and going down the other way it was just total domination what's with all these blowouts that's, that's unbelievable i did i think now that i'm thinking about it a little more i do think i saw the final and i i mean it was i think they won by about 50 wow they they pulled their starters and let let the, the backups play. Uh, so, but yeah, you don't usually see that, especially in high level athletics. You don't usually see the disparity be that huge, but sometimes it is. Later today in the program, uh, we're going to talk about a historical uh, game that happened that uh, Grant you did a write up on. Some great lessons from it. The greatest comeback <laughs> in the history of NFL football. So we're going to talk about that. So even sometimes teams get down, but they can come back, and other times they they like quit <laughs> they're not coming back yeah that's the overwhelmingly easy choice to, is just to pack it in because obviously you've gotten dominated for so long what's to make you think that you could change that yep it uh, takes some character to try to dig your way out of some of those holes there's a this is a sports related notes from fox news you might remember during the nfl season some nfl players were kneeling during the national anthem to protest something and i think what they were protesting sort of changed over time but they were protesting uh houston texans avoiding free agents who protested during a national anthem according to a report two nfl agents told the houston chronicle on saturday that the team is not interested in players who participated in protests during the national anthem 
There is no official directive in the organization, but it is understood that the team isn't going to pursue anyone who participated in the protests, the paper reported. The Houston Texans, of course, said that uh, the report was false, a categor- categorically false and without merit. They're not going to say <laughs> that that's their policy. I don't know if it is their policy, but there are some reports saying that the Houston Texans aren't interested in free agents coming to their team if they protested during the national anthem. And uh, if that's the case, I say good for them. Uh, I mean, even just from the standpoint of if you want a unified team, which you have to have, you can't have people with all these political agendas during the game demonstrating in that way. You've got to be focused on the task at hand. That's right. And even the the most confusing part about those protests last year was that when they played games in England or Mexico, they would be standing during those anthems. And it's almost like, well, what do these players think about these other countries do they think that they've never done anything wrong and that it's only america that has committed any sins in its history Uh, that's why their whole message was so confusing they're saying that people went out of their way to try to contort what they were trying to put across there but that's what made it so confusing is that they were willing to literally stand for any other anthem probably if they were playing in north korea they would have stood too so what in the world was the point of their protest yeah this is really strange as the year went on and Got to be a real distraction. Of course, the ratings were down for the sports. And then, um, well, even just shifting to, uh, say, entertainment. They had the Oscars this last Sunday, and the ratings were, I think, historically low for that. Uh, part of it being because I think, I don't know if the movies were any good, but but uh, also just all the political talk. And I think going into it, everyone was aware that a lot of what was going to be talked about was political. And, uh, I don't, you know, people get tired of it. No matter, I, no matter what side of it they come down on, I just think they kind of get sick of of it. So whether it's football, whether it's these other entertainment uh, uh, industries, I don't know. Are they going to get the message that at least half of their audience isn't interested in what they're saying? Yeah, speaking of the Oscars the other night, uh, Gary Oldman, who played Churchill in that in that recent movie, actually thanked Winston Churchill and America Uh-oh. and was met by dead silence Wow! Uh, from among all those uh, famous actors. That is stunning. I mean, if you knew if you know anything about history, which I would assume they would know some basics, if it wasn't for Winston Churchill and for the United States in World War II, you'd be having the what would the awards be? Some German version of it, <laughs> yeah, Nazi German right. version of it. You know, it's it's silliness to uh, uh, <laughs> not not support that uh, positive history there. So. Really interesting. Even I saw one actress who's pretty famous and obviously very liberal. Most of them are, or at least they claim to be. She uh, she started backing off in some of her talk because she hasn't been doing as well in her movies. And she said she she can't afford to have only 25% of the country watch her films. So she has to back off the politics. <laughs> well, that just shows that uh, she she's probably so outspoken that only really half of the left even is supportive of that basically is what she's saying uh because probably like you said when people watch the oscars or they watch the nfl and they see one segment of the entertainers being so vocal with their opinions even if they agree with those people they probably don't like those people being so boisterous about it and being so in your face because then it just makes everyone who believes the same thing uh, look pretty bad yeah here's a, another story that's really interesting and this uh, is interesting especially in light of that uh, school shooting in uh, parkland florida a couple of weeks ago a lot of talk about the cause and why those things happen and 
And one thing that, that does get mentioned occasionally, but not as much as it should probably, is the fact that a lot of times these, these perpetrators don't have good family lives. They don't have, uh, in particular, fathers that are around or are effective fathers. And here's a case where uh, dad took uh, took his son <laughs> uh, under, under his wing, so to speak, to give him some correction, and it's made some headlines. Virginia dad forces his bully son, so his son was bullying other kids. He's 10 years old. Uh, and he got banned from the school bus. And the dad said, that's fine. You're going to run to school. And so he made him run to school, and he'd follow him in the car to make sure he got there okay. <laughs> but he filmed it, and he put it up on YouTube, and he said, this right here is called parenting. That was his message. He was going to teach his son a lesson. I think it was about a mile. Kid would do it in about six minutes, so it was a pretty good pace. <laughs> and uh, most people are supportive of a couple of naysayers, but here the dad intervened and said, that's enough of your nonsense, and I'm going to correct you for it. So refreshing to hear a story like that because normally uh, when something happens where the school I- initiates some kind of discipline on a student, the parents immediately come down on the side of their student, like on the, on the side of their child, like they could never do anything wrong. And that's a pretty naive way of looking at it because uh, – Children pretty quickly learn how to deceive uh, their parents and make it look to their parents like they're better than they are. And you have grown adults on the other side saying that these kids aren't behaving themselves and we should probably believe them first. At least this guy uh, took what was said and took action immediately. That's what you need to have in every one of these situations. If you look at the lives of every shooter or any person who has done something like that, uh, not a single one of them had a loving father and a loving mother in the home that, that had the right mix of correction uh, plus nurturing. It just has never happened once. And this dad, you know, he he's not going to give the kid a ride because that would probably be easier. And, and so he said, no, you're going to run. And he said the technique is working. He said his son was, quote, out of his mind last week and since the punishment has not gotten into trouble. And uh, he said it's important for kids to be held accountable for their actions. He said his son ran a mile to school for one week, as mentioned, at about six minutes. Uh, so pretty good pace. Um, but uh, he says teach your kids. That's what the dad said. He said don't be a friend, be a parent. That's what children need these days. So some pretty sound advice there. Most people were supportive. There's a couple of naysayers. One person said that... Um, uh, well, one educator said uh, that it was great. He said, my hat's off to you, uh, good parenting, and that's somebody that works at a school. But another one said, oh, so you're going to bully your kid to teach him not to bully. Have you ever looked the kid in the face and had a long conversation with him about why he's acting the way he is acting? Because that will solve it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he says, find out where he learned to be a bully to begin with. So if you make your child do something he doesn't want to do, if, if you say, hey, why don't you go clean the kitchen? Is that bullying? You can't you can't bully him. Can't make him do anything. It's not like he's making him run like a a hell week style run across the beach into the water like ten miles uh, with a weighted vest on. It's it's a one mile run, which is great for your health, especially when you're young. There's nothing wrong with that. It actually has numerous benefits. And then the kids. Uh, all of a sudden going to behave himself a lot better too. So it's it's great all the way around, but you always know when something like this happens that people are going to cry child abuse somehow. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I bet when the kid gets to school too, he's ready to sit down for a while and pay attention because he, he just ran. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, well, that happens in a lot of things. Even uh, in the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today, they're talking about uh, – some of these older sports films, one of them being Miracle, um, and just some of the lessons learned there about discipline and so forth. And there's a famous scene in that movie that they play 
part of the audio from where uh, they weren't playing hard in the game. So what do they do? They made them basically run, in this case, skate, um, until they couldn't do it anymore. You know, it was a punishment, and nobody batted an eye at that type of thing. Yeah, not back then. I mean, no. now th- that movie wouldn't be allowed to be made again. <laughs> Probably just based on what has happened in the last few years, uh, that would be frowned upon, making people skate till they fall over and can't can't stand up again or till they vomit. Obviously, uh, he the coach was going to some pretty extreme lengths there, but at the same time, he was dealing with grown men who mm-hmm. should be able to take responsibility for themselves a little bit better, and they shouldn't need a coach to make them do that in the first place. Yeah, so uh, pretty neat that the, the dad, I think, did that. Um, and I think that uh, he, he was pretty bold to put it up uh, online as well because yeah. you, you are inviting a lot of uh, critics, no doubt. That's almost like that's such a good relationship that uh, teachers can develop with parents like that when they know that the parents are going to listen to them and take what they say at face value every time because then uh, the parents actually feel more comfortable in the future bringing up things that the kid could work on. And that way the kid might not like it too much, but at least he's growing a lot in character and he's he's developing some uh, some much better habits. That way, that way the the parents and teachers are on the same page and they're working toward the same goal. Yeah, for sure. And I, the commenter that was negative and said, uh, you know, <clears throat> have you ever looked at the kid in the face and had a long conversation? Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, you ever deal with a 10-year-old? kid that's causing trouble that they need a good talking to that'll fix them right up uh <laughs> they're not even going to listen to half of what's being said and it's always funny to me i, I think well what are they expecting to happen here they're, like the, the kid's going to have some sort of an epiphany and be like you're right this is really coming from a deep-seated insecurity that i have i need to change my ways <laughs> at 10 years old <laughs> or at any age almost i mean i think he's going to learn the lesson of uh by running the mile instead yeah uh, the long talks just basically going to make the kid think well that's it that's all i have to endure to behave basically however i want to if all you have to do is sit down and listen to someone for a few minutes and then you can you can go right back to playing outside right back to misbehaving uh at school that's not really going to deter anybody my wife has a funny story she always likes to bring up occasionally when she was a teenager, she was babysitting uh, these two boys. It was a job she had. They were younger kids, and and um, they behaved pretty well for her. But then when the mom came home, uh, they would be pretty pretty naughty. They could get away with a fair bit, and so they'd use some language that wasn't appropriate. And uh, the, the way the mom would handle it is she would say, now neither I nor uh, Becky uh, appreciate that type of language. Oh, <laughs> As if that would change please. anything with the kids. Uh, you got to give them a little bit, of, little bit of discipline to get them going the right way. Yeah, there was a great Trumpet Hour radio program a while ago where Mr. Joel Hilliker talked about how uh, kids are naturally going to be uncivilized. Why wouldn't they be when... If, if they're just born and, and growing up on their own, basically, without any discipline, without any parental authority, why wouldn't they be a little bit uncivilized? And they have to have that influence in their lives to teach them where the boundaries are and what happens to you. There has to be a, a tangible, real punishment that happens to you if you cross those lines. And you can't give them seven or eight second chances. It has to be a punishment right when the infraction is committed. Uh, and that, that that does apply a lot to school um, where the the teachers have to be given authority to deal with things too without the parents just stepping in there every time that their precious child is said to have done something wrong. Yeah, and I think about, like, say, this school shooter, this recent uh, one, uh, it, he he obviously wasn't restrained in any way, he wasn't disciplined in any way, and not, not to where it had any good result. 
And so what happens? Well, he puts himself in a terrible situation where now he must be imprisoned. He must be held in inside of a cage because the society he can't function in society. So if a parent doesn't want to put a little bit of restraint on their children when they're growing up, eventually society has to. Yeah, and and that shooter was also part of an overly tolerant school system that that basically just gave him so many opportunities to change even though he was banned from ever bringing a backpack onto campus because they never knew what he'd be hiding in there and he couldn't be trusted to keep his hands off of the other students because he was always liking to get into fights uh he and they kept on letting him come to school and disrupt the lives of all the other kids who were trying to behave themselves uh, it's just a terrible example for everyone else i mean all the other kids looking at that might think i can get away with whatever i want to do now because because look at how they treated him yeah yeah too much tolerance there in some cases Here's an interesting story. We always uh, are interested in uh, archaeology, especially in Jerusalem, but sometimes other things are found that are just kind of neat. And this uh, happened recently. Wreckage found of a World War II aircraft carrier, USS Lexington. Uh, That was a U.S. aircraft carrier which sank during World War II. It's been found in the Coral Sea, a search team led by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen announced Monday. The wreckage was found Sunday by a team's research vessel some 3,000 meters or two miles below the surface, more than 500 miles uh, off the eastern coast of Australia. Remarkably preserved aircraft could be seen on the seabed bearing the five-point star insignia of the U.S. Army Air Forces on their wings and fuel uh, fuels, uh, lossage, uh, fuselage. Sorry, On the aircraft, an emblem of the cartoon character Felix the Cat can be seen, along with four miniature Japanese flags presumably depicting kills. The USS Lexington and another U.S. aircraft carrier, USS Yorktown, fought against three Japanese aircraft carriers May 4th through the 8th in 1942 in the Battle of the Coral Sea. The badly damaged Lexington, nicknamed Lady Lex, was deliberately sunk by another U.S. warship at the conclusion of the battle. More than 200 members of the crew died in the battle, but most were rescued. Uh, and so they found the wreckage of that thing. I don't know what they're going to do with it now, but <laughs> there it is. A wreckage found of the uh, aircraft carrier USS Lexington. Yeah, and it is fascinating just how it says here that they were remarkably preserved. I mean, it's been <laughs> 70 years or so since that happened, and it's down there in the water almost like like it's been sitting there undisturbed the entire time. Uh, it's pretty interesting that sometimes it takes that long to find it, and nothing came in there that might have disrupted it. Yeah, it's neat. They have some pretty good pictures and some video of it too. If you want to look online, you can find that. There's also a story, uh, I think it was from Maine, where they had the nor'easter come through this last weekend, and there's uh, the remnants of uh, a ship, I think, from well, many, many years ago, that every time a big storm comes through, they can see part of it, and then it gets covered up again. <laughs> so that's pretty neat, I mean, you know, to uh, see some of those old uh, vessels that are out there. And so uh, I think that one was back from, boy, Revolutionary War days, wow. I believe, that far back. So they don't do anything with it. It just sits out there, and they look at it once in a while, and then it gets covered back up, and then the storm comes through and unveils it. Well, I guess it is a ship, so it would take something pretty extreme to move that out of its place. Maybe that's why this one has hardly moved at all since it it was sunk as well. Uh, it's going to take like a hurricane or something to move it. Yeah, I don't even know why they wanted to find this, uh, this uh, World War II one other than just for historical record. I mean, there's... You know, when you think of finding ships, you think of, like, gold <laughs> and things like that, but there, there'd be no reason to really find it, I guess. It's it's always interesting to think about what is down there under the sea, not only in terms of, you know, wreckage, but just 
lots of different things in general. So they found uh, found that, and it it would be a pretty fun uh, adventure to be on. Paul Allen obviously has a fair bit of money, so he can he can have uh, crews go out and search for different things, and that would be a it would be a pretty fascinating job, I think. Yeah, and it's also uh, pretty funny just how. Th- the the aircraft carrier is customized with Felix the cat drawing on it, and then the four little Japanese flags. Uh, that's probably something mostly unique to America, where they would put uh, things like that on their planes and on their ships, uh, just to customize or individualize each of the craft. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. There is there is a lot of uh, oh I don't know nostalgia I guess about World War Two right now. It seems like there's been a few movies, Churchill movies. Uh, there was the Dunkirk movie. Did you ever see the Dunkirk movie? No, I didn't see it yet. Yeah, it's really really good. I'd check it out. It's uh, pretty remarkable. Not a lot of dialogue in it, but just mm. uh, just a really well done film. I thought I haven't seen the Churchill one yet, but that's on my to see list, which isn't very long. I think it has <laughs> one movie on it, and I think that's it. Yeah, those ones both sound worth watching i mean obviously we've talked about how there's a couple parts that are a little bit inaccurate but uh as far as a movie goes and if you do know the actual history you can you can match those things up with the movie just fine yeah so those are those are kind of uh seems like the 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 time period people are interested in right now uh here's something from uh china that uh is creepy (laughs) and uh i don't know if it'll affect the u.s at any point but it's just uh one i think it's one of those uh situations where social media can kind of uh, imprison us into uh, uh, giving up a lot of information that maybe we don't want people to have. This is from The Sun. It says, Inside China's creepy social credit system that analyzes internet shopping and social media use in order to blacklist, quote, lazy or wasteful citizens and allow those who behave well to borrow money. So they're going to take a look at what you do online, your shopping, your other things, and then depending on what you do, they're going to uh, maybe label you as lazy or maybe uh, uh, somebody that they couldn't uh, lend money to. And so you would think, well, I'm just online. Nobody cares what I'm doing. But it could, in the case here in China, potentially um, determine whether or not you can get a loan or not. And that's something that we can't really relate to over here because we don't have our internet search history tracked that well. I mean, obviously Google knows what we want to buy based on our past searches, but uh, other than that, you don't have the government uh, perusing through it as far as we know. I mean, there is the NSA scandal, uh, but it's this This is going to apply to every single citizen in, in China, which at, at some point, by 2020, it says. Yep. <laughs> so uh, that, that means that uh, it's not just the government targeting one or two specific individuals from time to time like the danger is here this is everyone and it and it applies to even just uh getting a loan although i mean you can understand why certain companies might not want to lo- loan to certain people with certain habits it's just the act of going into their private lives finding that information and then using that against them that is a problem right yeah i don't think anyone wants a government to be that invasive uh, as you mentioned, this is going to become mandatory in China in 2020, uh, and currently it's uh, being tested in certain areas. Um, linked, they say likened to an episode of this particular show. I guess I haven't seen it, but I guess they they deal with some of these things. Uh, Sesame Credit rates people on factors including interpersonal relationships and consumer habits, including buying video games. Hey, I'm free and clear. (laughs) Uh, They say it appears the authoritarian one-party state believes that someone who plays PlayStation or Xbox is, quote, an idle person. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? There's a good chance of that. (laughs) There is a good chance of that. 
Is, but it's funny because all the best players seem to usually be from China or somewhere <laughs> over there. It says those with low ratings are blacklisted, meaning they aren't able to book a plane flight, uh, prevented from renting or buying property, and are unable to secure a loan or stay in a luxury hotel. So uh, you thought, you know, maybe they thought they were just going to play a little Xbox. Well, it turns out they can't get a plane ticket now. <laughs> That's just really extreme. You can understand maybe if it's talking about a loan where they don't have the money to buy something right away, and so a company has to give them that money and expect them to pay it back. Obviously, playing video games a lot might mean that they don't work enough to pay it back, but if someone has the money to stay in a luxury hotel or they already have the money to do these other things, why would they be penalized for that? Yeah, it's it's I guess a list we don't no one would want to be on the blacklist. So, yeah, uh, it is interesting. There's uh you know the mo- the less and less we see of cash being used, like even here in the U.S. and the more it goes to uh, just transferring of numbers, basically whether you're using a credit card or whether you're using maybe a f- an app on your phone or something. Uh, you know, it might be more convenient in some ways, but people do have more control over that you know, a larger body, say a government body or a a bank or something, as opposed to, well, I just have cash and it's in my pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do what you want with it. But when other people are in control of whether or not you can spend it or what you do with it or what what you can, uh, you know, uh, where you can spend things, then all of a sudden uh, you don't have as much control as you thought you did, and it it begins to be a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's always a good idea in general just to use as much cash as possible, like we said yesterday, but especially if uh, the government is, is on the lookout for you. Uh, there's already certain things that you can't really do in uh, through cash as far as I know. Like it's really hard to stay at a hotel unless you use a card or to buy plane tickets like we just mentioned. Uh, there's things like that where you pretty much have to um, you pretty much have to use a debit card or a credit card for that or, or write a check. Uh, even even paying most bills, if you're going to send your bills in the mail i mean people people who work in the mail are probably going to see the cash and, and they might take it so so even then it's pretty difficult to use cash for a lot of different things there was that story yesterday about the millennials being ripped off more uh being victim of victims of fraud more than even the senior citizens and uh, i was watching actually a, an update on that story last night on the national news and they <clears throat> talked about this one individual or interviewed him and he got he got ripped off on this uh, check scheme where they say, well, we'll send you all this money and you, you cash the check and send us right. the money back. Well, it's a, it's a bad check and then you're on the hook for it because you cashed it. And I thought, well, I bet the reason he got caught is I bet he doesn't use checks. Like I bet because he's so young, he just doesn't even think about the way checks work. That's mm-hmm. probably why he got caught. Yeah, that's one of the uh, scams that I was looking into yesterday. And it's it's a pretty... A new thing. I haven't heard of anything like that before, but uh, certain checks, they, they can make them look pretty realistic, and then uh, they'll hire you to say, well, we're overseas, and we need someone in the U.S. who can help out with our accounts a little bit easier. And it sounds a little bit too too good to be true because that's literally the only job that you have for this company is you cash a check and you get like 10 to 15% of the money every single time. Uh, so like you said yesterday, if it if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That scam has come up a lot on Craigslist. Uh, if you put something for sale, uh, somebody might contact you and say, "Hey, uh, I'm really interested in your product. This looks great, but um, I'm stationed overseas. I'm in the military, so I'm gonna send you a cashier's check. Uh, it'll be for more than what mm, the the yep. item is. 
you cash it and then you know the, there'll be some shipping fee or whatever and and uh, send me the rest. I forget how it all works out. I probably got that wrong, but something like that. And basically what they're doing is they're getting you to cash a, a bad check and then they get the, your item mm-hmm. and they're going to get other things as well. And uh, you're on the hook because you're the one that cashed it. And so that, that scams happen. I, I first encountered it when somebody tried to do that to me and I thought that just seems weird. And I Googled it and lo and behold, I read all about the, the scam. Yeah. And that that's another one of those things where it sounds a little bit better than possible because you know oh you're going to pay me more than the item's worth i mean how considerate of you to pay all the shipping costs as well when i didn't even ask for that uh that's a little bit too generous for for you to expect from most people right (laughs) so that's that's another tip off there that well why would they offer that before i even mentioned it yeah i think if i remember correctly i think what it is is they're gonna they're gonna send you you, you know, the checks for more than what you're selling it for, but then you're going to give that money to somebody and they're going to ship it. And there, there's some, there's some sort of thing there. So they come and they take that money and the item and all this. So, anyway. well, sometimes it takes like a couple days too. So if you just put the check right into the bank, uh, it might take a couple days for the bank to realize that, uh, that's a fake check. So basically at the very least, you've already sent your item in the mail by that time and you haven't actually gotten the money. <laughs> and then when the check bounces, then you have to pay the bank back for all that money that left your account. Yeah, in the case of the guy on TV that I was watching last night, the check was, I think, for like $29,000, which oh. he was on the hook for. So bad, bad deal. <clears throat> uh, here's an interesting story about uh, uh, getting up early or not getting up early. Uh, they had a, a survey of the, the cities in the U.S. with the earliest and latest risers. The metro areas with the highest average percentage of commuters who leave for work earlier than 5 a.m., Elkhart, Goshen, Indiana, uh, <laughs> some town in Mississippi that I can't pronounce, <laughs> <laughs> El Centro, California, and Stockton, uh, California, Hammond, Louisiana, and uh, Merced, California. So those are the, uh, California, it's not surprising. People have long commutes. So some of them leave for work at 5 a.m. Yeah, that in California, that might just mean that they have to go so far through traffic. Other places, probably just because your job starts extremely early, uh, that, so it's a little bit skewed depending on where you live. Yeah, and then the metro areas with the uh, average percentage of commuters, the highest average, that leave for work later than 9 a.m., Atlantic City, Ithaca, New York, Las Vegas, uh, Muncie, Indiana, and Lawrence, Kansas. Atlantic City and Las Vegas, you can understand why, because most people are working late mm. at those casinos, so they probably um, don't have to get there until later. But uh, so that they went on and talked about the benefits of getting up early, and I gave some examples of some pretty successful people that like to get up early, some really early, <laughs> 3.45, that's a little wow. early for me. Uh, there's some people that like the 5 a.m. get up, other people around 6 o'clock, but uh they say waking up has some benefits to it, and if you want to wake up earlier and get more done early in the day, they say ease into it. Try gradually setting your alarm a little bit earlier each day and enlist a friend to wake you up early and keep you accountable. That reminds me of Mr. Armstrong's example in his autobiography when he had a, a, a guy at a hotel, one of the workers there, get him up. It says when you wake up, drink a glass of water, brush your teeth, or make your bed to help shake off the sleepiness. Plus, it's good to get hydrated right away, mm. too. Uh, but they say if you're going to do that, make sure you still get enough sleep. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm going to get up real early. But if you're going to, you still need about seven to eight hours a night of sleep. That's that's the, probably the, the critical part, that we can't go to bed at 11 or 12 and then wake up at 3 or 4. It's just something that you couldn't do much longer than a week if you're 
the, the average person who who needs actual sleep. Uh, you hear of some people who are really famous and they just seem like they 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 just go 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 forever. Uh, but but most people can't sustain three or four hours a night. No, no way. It's there's a lot of health problems that can come from that. Um, if you're not getting enough sleep, they say that uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend if you you can get seven or eight a night, you should. Uh, sufficient sufficient sleep helps people retain information, improves memory function, and boosts creative thinking. Skimping on sleep can lead to excessive daytime sleepiness, fatigue, clumsiness, weight gain, or weight loss. <laughs> uh, it can even increase the likelihood of developing diabetes and can have negative effects on the brain and cognitive functioning. So it gets back, I guess, to who is that? Benjamin Franklin? Early to bed, early to rise. Mm-hmm. Young man, healthy, wealthy, and wise. I think so. So, yeah, if you're going to get up early, you got to get to bed at a decent time. They say make early bedtime a priority, uh, and one way to do that is power down your electronics at least 15 minutes before going to bed. That can help you. And sometimes uh, reading helps, mm. winding down, which I find to be uh, true for me. If I can get into, get you know comfortable and, and read for 30 minutes or something, I usually have a pretty good sleep. It's always a lot easier to go to bed early if you don't have some kind of entertainment uh, in mind in the evenings, like uh, obviously sports games go on later in the evening Uh, a lot of restaurants or places in town really start um, opening up a lot of their services a little bit later in the day and so if you're planning on going out or watching something on tv uh, that's automatically pretty much almost every time going to lead to you staying up a lot later too yep i've got to stay away from uh uh basketball in particular yeah because i like watching basketball and uh some of the teams i like are on the west coast or they're playing on the west coast there's no way i can't get involved because the game doesn't start till 9 30 right yeah i'd like to see it but i just can't do it i'll be wrecked the next day yeah and thankfully there are some some people on youtube who pretty much do highlight videos where they show you every basket made yep. i mean that what what a service <laughs> it cuts the game down to 10 minutes that's right it's all it, all it takes uh, here's one. This this is just, I find this interesting, and uh, some of our listeners might as well. Sometimes when people have farms, they find some strange things that come out of animals. <laughs> In this case, an egg. A uh, farmer finds remarkable egg within an egg. It's crazy. It's at foxnews.com. You should look at the picture. A farmer in Queensland, Australia, discovered uh, an excellent <laughs> gift. That's what they wrote. Congratulations to the author. When he opened an egg three times the normal size, so it was a huge egg, and they thought, what is in this thing? Only to find another fully developed egg inside of it. So when you see the picture, it's just a huge egg, and then they open it, there was a yolk, but then inside of that, there was another egg with the shell. So it was an egg inside of an egg. Um, They don't know why it happened. They have no explanation for it. Nobody does, but it was this huge egg. Eggs usually weigh 58 grams. This one weighed 176 grams. So anyway, just a really bizarre thing, a freak of nature, I guess. So I presume just a chicken's egg then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> I'm trying to think. That's probably like a grapefruit size yeah, just, big. just for an egg almost. Yeah. yeah. And so they, they opened it up and took a look at it and took pictures. And uh, the guy's name is Scott Stockman of Stockman's Eggs. <laughs> and he said he had never seen anything like this before. Um, and, uh, so the Charles Stewart University assistant, uh, professor Rafe Freer 
could not explain the egg within an egg either. <laughs> so the experts don't know how it happened. We'll just have to give that one some time, and, and then they'll probably come up with a really interesting explanation for it. It's climate change. <laughs> climate change. <laughs> double double eggs. They're causing mutations. In some countries, people would probably worship it like a god. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, anytime there's some sort of odd thing that happens, you know, an albino animal or something, all of a sudden everyone thinks it's a god. That's right. The double egg. <laughs> yeah, it's really just uh, a rare, I don't know what, if you'd say mutation, yeah. but um, it's funny because it, a mutations never, they never trend toward being better. So an egg that is inside of an egg probably isn't better than a regular egg. For what it's worth, it was a free-range chicken. So mm-hmm. everyone likes their free-range chickens. Um, I always think, wow, what would you do if you just let it be? Like, would it hatch? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would it be? That would, that would be interesting to find out. Well, is this a product of evolution where they, they've adapted to try to make sure that their eggs are more fortified against us cracking them open? Yeah, well, you know, there's that expression, you can't have your... Uh, uh, eat your cake and have it too. But in this case, you you could eat your egg and have it too because <laughs> yeah, you, could, you could have one of them. Yeah, <laughs> not the other. I one. I wish what they would have done because they had. I think they broke it open. But I wish what they would have done is uh, X-rayed it. Now, oh. which you know, it's like, well, you don't want to probably pay for that, but still, it would have been neat to keep it intact. Mm-hmm. That would have been fascinating to see it. But anyway, so kind of an interesting find out there at uh, <laughs> at the old Stockman's Eggs in Australia. <laughs> All the weird stuff comes from Australia as far as animals and things. <laughs> Uh, but I thought listeners might find that interesting. Uh, and I, I don't know. They said they're not going to eat it because they get tons of eggs, so it doesn't matter. So I don't know what they're going to do with it. Maybe They just... really shouldn't have broken it open then no. if they're not going to eat it. Like you said, that's that's a real missed opportunity. It really is because you could have kind of shaken it, and I bet you would have heard the other egg inside. It's like one of those Russian dolls. <laughs> right. You keep opening it up, and there's smaller <laughs> ones inside. I love those things. <laughs> maybe it was a, maybe it was a Russian egg. <laughs> Russia planted it. <laughs> uh, make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story is by Jack Wood. Europeans prepare for total war. Russian military aggression in Eastern Europe is leading to a prophesied clash of civilizations. So Europe, of course, is getting more uh, thinking more and more about military uh, endeavors. There's a, what the, one of the NATO headquarters is going to be over there, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then even if you look over in the Koreas, the story today is that you know miracle of miracles, North Korea might give up their nukes. Oh come on, <laughs> yeah they'll give them up. They'll deposit them in your country. <laughs> but uh, they said I, what, I think Kim Jong Un said that um, they would get rid of their nukes if if uh, people would stop being aggressive towards them militarily. Who's aggressive towards North Korea militarily? No, no one is. No one is. I mean, South South Korea has troops on the border with North Korea, but North Korea has almost a third more troops, so they're the ones who are being more aggressive in that situation, and they're the ones who are constantly launching missiles into the sea, right. which you don't see any other nation doing that. Right. The only, the only quote-unquote aggression against them in terms of talking is just because of the fact that they shoot off these... Uh, nuclear missiles and it's just words again yeah. it's not it's not actions it's not anyone pressing the red button it, you know what would solve it you send that uh, dad over there from that earlier story and make him run to school <laughs> make Kim Jong-un do some much needed laps <laughs> yeah to run to school every day and then reconsider his ways uh, it is uh, it is interesting so anyway there's a lot going on there as far as in Europe and then you can look also at the Koreas and there's some great write-ups at the trumpet about that 
the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host, Stephen Fleury. He uh, looks at two movies um, that they watched at their camp out. But he did preface it by saying they did a lot of reading as well. <laughs> but they did watch some movies. Don't judge. <laughs> Don't judge. They were doing a lot of reading. But uh, lessons from uh, Hoosiers and Miracle, I think people are pretty familiar with those. Uh, talked about just basically some old school coaching and government. <laughs> the fact that these uh, players and, and people, other people involved with the team were uh, pretty much told, look, if you want to be part of the team, um, you've got you've to do it our way. You know, and the lessons that are brought out from that obviously go much further than, say, just sports or something physical like that. A lot of spiritual lessons there, too. And he also highlights the fact that, you know, you just don't see uh, the support for that type of authoritarian um, uh, or authoritative, I guess, coaching today. You know, we're not talking about some dictator that's hurting people. But, I mean, just saying, look, you know, hey, you're not in shape. You're going to run till till you get in shape. And that's okay. Yeah, and this... And it's also important to note that these two movies featured, um, well, I guess Hoosiers, is that high school? These are just high school, high school athletes. Yep. And then at Miracle, uh, these were college kids representing the nation at the Olympics. So it wasn't at the professional level where players get used to those big contracts and think that they're now in charge over the coaches, which is what you see at the top level too often today. It's almost like the farther you or the further you go into something like that the less teachable you are and really it should be very different the the greatest people should be looking for ways to improve they're playing against the the greatest athletes in the world and so they should be looking for an edge anywhere they can find it yep and it's harder to coach them a lot of times like you said when they get they get maybe better at it uh so following on that we have a couple of uh, sports stories that we thought would be uh would be pretty relevant and I uh, just have some quotes here that are good. These are just some sports uh, quotes from different coaches over the years. Uh, Rick Charlesworth, hockey coach, said, The interesting thing about coaching is that you have to trouble the comfortable and comfort the troubled, which I thought was a good one because if a player is too comfortable, then they don't work hard enough, so you've got to cause them some trouble. But then when they struggle, then you've got to be there to help them out. And I think um, we all experience that in life a lot. It's that perfect balance of steel and velvet that, uh, men in general should be trying to uh, develop in their lives because uh, you do have to make sure that things are running efficiently, that they're going according to the proper order. But at the same time, you can't just be a drill sergeant all the time. You're going to alienate everyone who's around you. If they don't think you care about them, they're not going to go into battle with you at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons there. Here's a quote from Vince Lombardi, the uh, famous Packer football coach. He says, winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-time thing. You don't win once in a while. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. Unfortunately, so is losing. So, I mean, obviously no one's going to be perfect, but but he was trying to trying to set a winning culture. And uh, you hear about that in sports a lot where, oh, they need to change the culture of that team because they just lose all the time. And it's because they're not uh, really looking at – you know, doing things the right way all the time. They'll kind of slack off in practice or, ah, they did it right a couple of times, good enough. But the the great teams even, I mean, I guess modern times we'd think about uh, the Patriots. Um, they're, they're pretty systematic in the way they play and they perform, and they have a coach at the top that's pretty much in charge, and so you see winning results. Well, as fans, we basically just see the Super Bowl or the championship game of a different sport and, and say, well, this is – what determines the winner of that league but those teams have been winning basically every day for the last six or eight months 
before that big day where they got all the attention and they got all the glory by winning the championship. They had to wake up early every day. They had to go to work. They had to focus. They had to make sure that they took every opponent seriously uh, and that they prepared accordingly each week or each game. Uh, And building those right habits and establishing those relationships on your team throughout the entire season is what actually leads to uh, winning the big victory at the end. Yeah, John Wooden, the famous coach for UCLA men's basketball uh, back in the, what, 60s, 70s, I guess, uh, they asked him, like, what do you miss the most? Do you miss uh, winning the championships? Do you miss the, you know, the big games? He said, no, the only thing he missed was practice. Mm. He missed the fundamental getting in there and working. And there's a bunch of quotes, and we're not going to go through them all. But when you look at them, the, the, the really good coaches and players, they all they talk about teamwork. They talk about getting themselves out of the way to be part of the team. They talk about working hard. <laughs> Vince Lombardi said the only place uh, where success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no, I saw a really good quote actually today that I didn't have on the list. I just happened to see it and I wasn't not, I wasn't even looking for the quote. It just it popped up in something else. But uh, Bo Ryan, who was coach for the Wisconsin Badger basketball team, very successful. Uh, he had a really interesting quote and he said, uh, work to be great at all the things you're not talented at. And I thought that was a really good quote. Yeah, because some things will just come more easy to you. But what about the things that don't? You know, work on those things especially. And that's that's sort of the paradox too, that uh, the things that w- come easy for us, the things where we're naturally talented, we don't always put as much work in. And a lot of the time people who don't have as much natural talent in the same area can beat us just because they had to actually put in a lot of work. So sometimes... The things that we're going to be truly great at are the things that we had to work at really hard because we didn't have that talent the moment we were born. You can see that unfold in a lot of different sporting contests where you know one team is a little more talented than the other, but maybe the other team's not working them or they play better. And you can just see the frustration growing because the more talented players, they know. They know they're better than the guy they're playing and the team they're playing, but they just aren't. Uh, doing the little things that it takes. And it's always interesting to watch that. And I, I think that's why a lot of people kind of root for the underdog. <laughs> and, uh, of course, if you're very talented anywhere card, then you're going to win. <laughs> but yeah. um, but uh, there are those cases where, you know, you can just see the frustration building. And I, I, I've heard it said before with a lot of players that are very good, particularly, say, in the sport of basketball, they can get by on talent in high school. Maybe they can get by on it in college. But if they get to the professional level and then they not they never learn to work, they don't last mm-hmm. because everybody all of a sudden is six ten. <laughs> Everybody's got a forty inch vertical leap. Now who's going to be the the harder worker? Yeah, that's right. That's that's where some of these guys who are really short, like in in basketball, uh, someone like Isaiah Thomas or some of these really tiny guys have to put in a lot of extra work. They have to they have to develop their ball handling skills to the point where they can create. 15 feet of separation between themselves and their opponent or else they can't even get a shot off without it getting blocked every time uh those those guys have to work a lot harder uh to try to get, overcome those natural obstacles that are in their way yeah one one last quote here larry bird who uh, i always thought was a great player uh because he is a great player <laughs> he said that uh, first master the fundamentals and no matter what you're doing in life you have to un- understand the fundamentals i mean you don't you don't sit down and write war and peace right you learn what an A sounds like. <laughs> you have to learn the fundamentals of anything first. And I always I always notice that when I'm watching, say, let's say I go to a basketball game, like, and it's just maybe a pickup game or something, and you're watching people kind of warm up, particularly if you don't know who they are. You can always 
kind of tell right off the bat who's played a little bit and who hasn't. The guy that's shooting it from half court <laughs> probably hasn't played a lot because it's not a fundamental thing. It, it, it won't help you in the game. <laughs> but that's a guy that's you know seen it on TV and he says, hey, and he he throws it from half court. So you know that that's probably not a guy to worry about. Yeah, and there's always a few guys who. Um, even at even at a professional game, you'll see them. They're holding a ball, but all they're doing is basically like a jab step. They're just taking one step with their right foot, and then they're putting it back in, in its original position, then taking another step forward. And you're like, "What is this guy doing? He's not even taking any shots. He's just standing there, uh, working on one element of footwork the entire time for like ten or fifteen minutes." But then you see him do that exact same thing in the game and no one can guard what he's doing because he has it drilled into his head so well that he doesn't have to think about it when he's out there doing it in the game. Right. Yeah. In a fast-paced game, if you have to stop and think about what you have to do, it's too late. You have to have so drilled into your mind. And that's that's true of a lot of areas of life. You've got a story that you want to talk about here that uh, you, you wrote up a while back on PCOG.org. It's called The Comeback. No one except the 1992-93 Buffalo Bills thought it could be done. And I remember this game. I remember watching it, and uh, there's some pretty good lessons from it. Yeah, this was uh, really fun to watch. The NFL's done a nice thing by putting some of their full uh, classic games from decades ago on YouTube. And so I found this one. I watched it recently, and uh, it does stand out because it's pretty different from most games that you see. Uh, We've talked about it the last couple days where – if a team is getting blown out, you can tell. You can just see that. You can see it in their body language. You can see uh, it on their faces. You can see it in the way that they start getting mad at each other, at their coach, at the other team, at the referees. Uh, they they'll go ask to get taken out of the game to sit on the bench because they don't even want to be a part of it anymore. Uh, and yet, I never saw anything like that in this game. And the Bills at, at one point got down thirty-five to three. It was. The, no one had ever come back from a deficit like that before, and yet you could just see them all encouraging each other, playing hard, asking to play extra more than they usually did. Uh, and so that, that just really stood out as something that is so different from what you normally see when watching sports. Yeah, they they didn't quit, which is easy to do. I mean, we, and so, again, we're not just talking about it a game when we're talking about life. I mean, we all get down at halftime sometimes, right? And being able to uh, continue on uh, and uh, keep working towards the ultimate goal, even though the, it looks like things aren't going to work out. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I remember in watching this when it happened, you know, it's not like it, when you're down that much, you can come back and you get it all back in one play. You always hear the commentators say that or the coaches, you're not going to get it back in one play. So don't don't try the the the, you know, launching the 80 yard touchdown, maybe just pick up a first down. Mm-hmm. Maybe and just get the ball going in the right direction and get the positivity going in the right direction, and uh, and before you know it, you, you're amazed at how much ground you've made. And that's true of anything in life. To where, you know, we don't find ultimate success with one massive push. Usually, mm-hmm. it's it's the little gains along the way, but they add up to a lot. Right. And at this particular game, uh, the Bills had pretty much every reason to just quit. They were playing the Houston Oilers and their quarterback. Uh, Warren Moon, the the Oilers quarterback, was pretty much just completing every pass he threw, and no no matter how hard the Bills rushed him, he'd get rid of the ball in time. Any time that they rushed too hard, he'd just hand it off and then run it right up the middle, and and uh, they they break a huge gain that way. And it was like nothing the Bills were trying could ever slow down that offense. And so it was actually twenty eight to three at halftime, 
and their coaches were <laughs> the Bills coaches were obviously yelling at the team at halftime to make sure that they actually tried in the second half because otherwise they probably wouldn't have. And the Bills' first drive, it actually got the throw got intercepted and returned for a touchdown, which made it thirty-five three in the second half. So the Bills really did have every reason to just quit at that point. They were also missing Jim Kelly, their starting quarterback, who is, uh, I believe he's already in the Hall of Fame. And then also uh, Thurman Thomas, their running back, got injured during the game. So really their two best players that weren't even playing for most of the game too. Yeah. And they and they, uh, but they kept chipping away. And it's funny how, like you say, you come out and you you want to get things going the right way, and you still you have a massive blunder right away. Right away. And a lot of times, yeah, teams just fold and just quit. But in this case, they just kept plugging away. And uh, I remember watching it and watching the the lead diminish and thinking, "There's no way, there's no way the Bills are going to come back and win this game." And uh, spoiler alert, they actually did come back and win it. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they really did. And it, it's really a mindset thing because uh, the quarterback, the backup, Frank Reich, who led the comeback, actually did the same thing in college. His team was down 31 to nothing when he played for Maryland. And he was the backup at that time, too, but happened to be starting that particular game. And he led the largest comeback in college football history before he came to the pro level. Uh, so it it's something where it takes a special person to be able to pull something like that off, someone who doesn't ever think the game's over till the final whistle has blown. It, not everyone can do it because human nature just pulls at you so hard to just quit. You know, it's cold, it's windy. You want to just go on the sideline and get your nice big f- puffy jacket on and, and have the heaters blowing on you. Uh, but they came out there and they, they changed everything around in the matter of pretty much a couple of quick drives. Yeah, you have a good quote in here from uh, a Bills head coach, Marv Levy, at the time, talking about how they had 30 more minutes left, and and uh, you know where he said you'd you'd uh, well better have reason to feel good about yourselves, regardless of how this game turns out, based upon what you do in those last 30 minutes. And I, there was a, a quote that I saw from this other coach too, where he, he said, you know, uh, winning and losing, it, it, it that wasn't so much of the issue. It was did you give it your best effort because he said it's easier to deal with losses than it is with regret Mm. to where yeah maybe you could have tried harder and you didn't like you never that's something that's hard to get over it's not so hard to get over a loss usually if you gave it your best shot and you lost i mean you get over it but Mm -hmm. but the regret if you didn't didn't do all that you could i think that stays with people and that's something that uh, gets to a lot of players in a moment like this 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 was a first round playoff game but any any type of big game like that where the whole nation is watching or it's for the the championship or whatever it might be players have a pretty easy time of just tightening up in that moment and playing with fear and they're playing uh, with timidity they're not they're not really sure of themselves anymore when normally they're great players uh and i think that's what happened to the Houston Oilers actually they had that huge lead and were afraid that well we've had the biggest this is the biggest lead. No one's ever overcome a lead this big. So we obviously can't give it up. And so the Bills kept playing hard, and sure enough, they started getting the breaks too. That's that's usually how it works even in life. When when you're working hard, even, even when some things don't go your way, at the right time, they will start going your way. Uh, the first touchdown drive uh, for the Bills in the second half, there was a ball that went literally right through a defender's two hands. He had two hands on it. It went through his hands and actually went to the Bills receiver five or ten yards behind him uh, for like a 25-yard gain. And they ended up scoring a touchdown on that. The next time, uh, the Bills kicker somehow recovered his own 
onside kick, which you almost never see happen. He basically right. bounced it along the ground and then dove in there head first and grabbed it uh, in the midst of a massive pileup of uh, giant, giant human beings, way bigger than this tiny kicker, and he somehow got the ball. They scored again uh, a 38-yard touchdown. And they just kept it coming, and they just they just started throwing it all over the field like they were a different team. But it was a result of them playing hard the entire game before that that things started finally going their way. Yeah, and you have some great points in here towards the end of this article too, just about uh, you know some spiritual lessons there. Uh, Proverbs twenty four ten saying that uh, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. I mean, you see that on the sports fields for sure. Uh, and then the point is brought out as well that. Uh, um, you know, what if what if Christ had quit? He went through some tough things. I mean, he resisted all the way into blood, mm-hmm. obviously. And if he didn't have the strength and the character to go through the toughest trial anyone's ever gone through, then mankind would have no future. So sticking with something, even when things get hard, there's uh, it's an essential part of uh, proper character. Yeah, Mr. Gerald Fleury gave that great Key of David program last May, uh, Psalm 37, verse 4, all the desires of your heart. And he talked about his personal experience where he got corrected pretty hard, and basically a minister told him, look, God didn't call us to quit. We're not here to be quitters, so stop being a quitter. He got a really, really hard correction there, but it basically changed his life because if you uh, deal with a hard moment the right way, it can actually really do some good things for you. Yep. Well, a famous uh, coach said, winners don't whine. <laughs> so my, it's like, that's a good one to remember, too. Calls aren't going my way. That's uh, all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you check out this uh, write-up. Uh, come back. It's at PCOG.org. Some great points in there. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Kia David, coming your way. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.